The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. The number one Bengals out there, part of the SB Nation network of podcasts. We are honored to be part of their channel. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sheeran. John, it has been a whirlwind past week and a half or so for us in this program. We're trying to keep our head above water, but in a good way, because we've had a lot of different guests, a lot of different different things going on, but uh, it's been fun. I I hope you're doing well. All I'm trying to do is make sure that I have my microphone actually connected, unlike last week. I don't know if anyone had issues with my audio, but I was just speaking into my computer. Like, I was so confident because like I, I, I thought like I had like a good setup going. I had some good lighting, and then I just didn't have my mic connected. So hopefully people can hear me a little bit better today. Yeah, yeah you know what? You sounded great. Was that for the Hubbard one? Was that for the Hubbard? No, it was for the Daniels interview. Oh, that, was so, Daniels. that was so much fun. If you guys haven't listened to our interview with Mike Daniels, check that out from last week. It, it was it was a good time. So, yeah, in the last, gosh, the last uh, really just about calendar week or so, we, we interviewed Mike Daniels on this program. That was like a 30-minute interview. The guy was awesome. There's a we, we did a write-up feature on him. Just a really neat guy. His reps were very... Very appreciative, John. I meant to relay that to you. They're very appreciative of, of that, and we are appreciative to them for giving uh, giving us his time. Uh, we, we spoke with Sam Hubbard, who came to us courtesy of Pepsi. That interview is up on CincyJungle.com as well as uh, all the platforms. And happy to have all of you with us. Hopefully, you have caught up on all of our content. There's also been a couple of great shows by Ace, Big, Ace Boogie and Zim Hooday. Uh, from, from the Orange is the New Black podcast that's on the SB Nation channel. Uh, Matt Minnick has had a couple of great chats recently, so hopefully you have caught up on all of these things as we are getting set towards kickoff. Tonight we're going to talk a few things. We've got some news and notes that pertain to week one as the Bengals take on the Chargers, so we're going to catch you up on all of that and what that may mean for the Cincinnati Bengals. We've got a Joe Mixon contract extension to talk about. We've, we've, we've talked about it as a possibility over the past month or so, but it has come to fruition. Joe Mixon is staying with the Cincinnati Bengals, so we will talk about that. We've got a soundbite of the week, maybe two, that we'll get to you. And if we have time, we will kind of try and wrap up our 2020 potential breakout players list that we have been doing over the past month and a half or so. You can get this program, as always, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, which is now, I, I believe they renamed it to Google Music, but the Google Podcast Music app, you can get it there, iHeartRadio, Megaphone, always on YouTube. There is a subscribe button right under John's left shoulder that you can click and subscribe to our YouTube channel, please do. And of course, all of our content is on cincyjungle.com. By the way, John, I don't know if you noticed, but we, uh, the the Cincy Jungle Instagram account has kind of made a uh, a little bit of a renaissance. So we, uh, it's been dormant for a little while, but we're going to be putting up a lot of content. Myself and others will be kind of manning that account, but we'll be putting some stuff up from the podcast, Bengals news, all kinds of stuff. So if you're an Instagram person, Go follow Cincy Jungle on Instagram as well. well. We'll be getting you caught up on all things there too. So a lot a lot of house cleaning stuff, but let's get to it, John. Let's get to some news and notes as it pertains to week one, Chargers at Bengals. And this we're, we're a little over a week away until kickoff, if you can believe it. Um, 
time flies, man. But let's start here in the good news corner for the Bengals. Bad news for the player. Bad news for the for the Chargers. And I hate to I hate to relish in someone's injury because that's not what I'm trying to do. But star defensive back Derwin James had a meniscus tear. He underwent surgery on Wednesday. He is no uh, no longer going to play in the 2020 season. He's sitting out because of that. But a big blow to the Chargers secondary, John, a, a guy that I kind of equate to the Minka Fitzpatrick's, Jalen Ramsey's of the world, a versatile guy, very, very talented. And, um, you know, sad for him. I hope he recovers well, of course. But good news for the Bengals as it pertains to on-field play. Someone said this on Twitter, so I'm not making it my own original comment, but like Derwin James is the is is the antithesis of next man up, like replacing Derwin James, because there is nobody, especially on the Chargers, or really maybe the entire NFL, that can do all the things that he can do well. Like that rookie year that he had in 2018, I know the Bengals play the Chargers that year, but I don't remember if Derwin was healthy for that game. He was, he was. So, like. Not not just in that game, but just that entire rookie season. It was it was special. Like you saw it from when he was in Florida State, how he tested his production. Like this, like the dude could line up anywhere on defense and just be a star. And in the time that he has been on NFL field, there there should be no doubt that he can cover guys out wide in the slot, be an overhang defender, be a blitzer, just be a regular deep roaming safety. Like he can do quite literally anything. So for the Bengals to not have to face him, it's an obvious advantage for them. It sucks for him because this is his second uh, essentially lost season in just three years. And I hope to God that he has a healthy 2021 season because he is just one of the most fun players to watch on defense or any side of the ball. Hopefully he recovers quickly, but I can't imagine the Bengals coaches are too upset about not having to, to game plan against them. Yeah. And I, I think this was uh, chronicled on the the hard knock series as well, that injury and some other, other issues that the chargers are going through. Um, but you know, the chargers still have a pretty stout defense, John, they can get after the quarterback. They've got some talented players. Uh, you know, they've, They've got some good receivers. It's going to still be a pretty tough matchup overall for the Bengals in week one, but not having Derwin James out there, a guy who can do so many different things in the secondary, especially when he's going up, even even as exciting and talented as and, and heady as a rookie, uh, as Joe Burrow, a quarterback, um, you know, it, it, it plays into the Bengals' advantage for sure that he is not on the field to say the, say the very least. And of course, most of it starts at comparing the quarterbacks. And regardless if Tyrod Taylor or Justin Herbert was starting, I think it's I think they just announced it is Tyrod Taylor starting. Like that that that's good for the Bengals. Like there's going to be only a few opportunities where you have a clear advantage at quarterback for the Bengals. And I think you know, despite Tyrod Taylor being a veteran having some success in the league, I think you, this is one of the matchups where one of the weeks where you are have some confidence that Burrow can be can produce like the better quarterback and give the Bengals a good chance of winning the game. Um, I think in general, you know, defending Keen Allen's going to be tough. Um, Austin Eckler is one of the most underrated running backs in the league. They made some they made some upgrades on offensive line. They've traded for Trey Turner, and uh, all eyes are going to be on the offensive tackles. You have Jonah Williams his debut at left tackle, and you have Bobby Hart trying to stay at right tackle, and you have two edge rushers in Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa who are going to be trying to come after Burrow for his first game. So a lot of things to watch in this game, but um, having just a middling veteran in Tyrod Taylor, a quarterback to, for Burrow to play against in his first debut is, is as good of a start that, that you could hope for, I guess. Yeah, great segue there talking about the quarterbacks. Tyrod Taylor did get the nod. Justin Herbert, you know, who knows what's going to happen there. Uh, the knock on Herbert has kind of been a little bit of the mental grasp of, of the game and, uh, you know, a little bit of, I don't want to say true regression from year to year, but uh, maybe maybe some disappearing acts and some bigger games in 2019 with the Ducks. But, you know, I, depending on how the season goes with the Chargers, one, one is inclined to think that Herbert's going to get in there at some point in the near future. It's not something, unfortunately, Tyrod Taylor is unfamiliar with. That happened with him in Cleveland when, when Baker Mayfield was there. He got pulled after about three or four games. John, Tyrod Taylor is one and one against the Cincinnati Bengals. He also came in another game with the Baltimore Ravens back in, I believe it was 2012. 
the Ravens, I think, got the win, um, but he did not start that game. So as a starter, both with the Bills, Tyrod Taylor is 1-1 one one against the Bengals. One game was 16-12, to 12, I think, in 2016, and then another game was 20-16, uh, to 16, I think, the, the following year. So, um, you know, Tyrod Taylor can do some stuff with his legs. He's got a, you know, a decent arm. He can make some plays, but he has been kind of a journeyman guy, a little bit of an up and down career. So I I don't know if, if you have some initial expectations now that we sit here in terms of what you think we'll be seeing from him as now the news has come out that he will be indeed the starter against the Bengals. I think Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry and Austin Eckler are probably in store for like 30 targets combined. Cause I think, our good friend in the comments section, Chris Hubbard, is claiming that Mike Williams will be out. I have not heard about that, but I'm taking his word for it because he's a good man and I trust him. Um, so, yeah, you have, I mean, I don't even know who else is that. Wide, uh, the guy named Jason Moore is projected to start at wide receiver uh, along with Keenan Allen. So, this is, uh, excuse me, this is Hunter Henry's first game back or hopefully i guess a start to maybe his one of his first healthy seasons in the league and again eckler is one of the better receiving backs so it's going to be a, a lot of opportunities for the Bengals to prove themselves that they are a better tackling team this year because it's gonna be a lot of short passes a lot of things out in front for them to hopefully minimize you know yards up to catch and whatnot and that's gonna be crucial to get you know the the, the defense off the field because at the end of the day tower Taylor is not someone that you really scared about of stretching you out deep especially because the best receiver is Keenan Allen he's not really known as a deep receiver so this is gonna be a lot of stuff that's just in your in front of your face and they need to capitalize on tackling and make sure that the one thing that they went out on this offseason to try to improve upon they're gonna have a good test to to start the season very good points you don't want to call them captain check down necessarily but I think I think high uh high percentage passing definitely will be the you know part and parcel of of Tyrod Taylor's game especially in week one given the limited amount of preseason games and everything they want to try and get you know uh the the high percentage passing game going and you know Eckler's a Eckler's a versatile guy Hunter Henry this is a good to your point not only the tackling aspect John but to your point too the Bengals have traditionally struggled in covering tight ends in the passing game covering backs out of the field and with it now it is a quarterback that isn't necessarily a, a total scrambling quarterback in Tyrod Taylor, but he can extend plays a little bit and then, you know, hit a pass that is a high percentage pass by moving around in the pocket, navigating the pocket a little bit. So that these new linebackers, some of the new defensive backs and some of those guys could be tested pretty heavily based on that. Yeah. And again, like Tyrod Taylor, I think he's okay. He's fine for what they need him to be because he gives them a better chance of winning right now than Herbert, who's just still going through the motions and learning stuff. But he does have a capable arm. Like this is the guy that has made it as a starter and was probably not given the best, most fair of chances in Buffalo. And then he was outed in Cleveland because they just wanted to get Baker Mayfield on the, on the field as soon as possible when they saw that the time was right. So he's going, he's going to have the, the unquestioned starting designation at least for this week and that's who the Bengals have to be prepared for and he can also move like he's I think either approaching 30 or he is over 30 years old by, right now but it, I think he's still one of the more athletic and mobile pocket passers at least in the NFL so it's going to be interesting to see if the Bengals pass rushers can wrap him up in the backfield and not let him escape contain so that's a little bit of the news with uh, as we get close to week one obviously John and I will be previewing week one uh, very heavily on next week's show. Once we get a full grasp of the news, the final roster, which should be released uh, right around the Labor Day holiday. So we'll kind of have a very clear picture by the time we take the air next Wednesday night in terms of what week one will look like. And to a point that was a question asked of us in the live chat, I believe it was from Paris Blair uh, listener on Facebook. How sloppy do you expect week one to be for teams with rookies playing significant roles like Cincinnati and Burrow. I think it's going to be sloppy in general for every team without a lot of preseason, without any preseason games. Um, I think rookies may have a little bit tougher time acclimating to things, and that may have played into to a decision as to why the Chargers went with Tyrod Taylor instead of Justin Herbert. One of many reasons, probably. Um, but 
you know, I do, I, I do think it's going to be a tough road. That doesn't mean I expect the Bengals to lose because they're a young team. They have a lot of talent and they are at home. Um, so I, you know, it, it's not like I'm expecting them to lose, but I don't, I don't know that you're going to see the prettiest football throughout the, usually it's like the first week or two, uh, first game or two, John, that you, you kind of see some sloppy football and then things kind of get cleaned up. We may, we may see some sloppy ball for the first month or so. Um, just as teams kind of struggle to play catch up. Yeah. And it's, I don't think it's just limited to rookies and young players too, because you, you still have offensive lines and special teams units that haven't had a lot of live practice together. And that's stuff that usually gets ironed out in the preseason. But at the end of the day, like, I think we talk about this when like right after the preseason did get, did get canceled, like there's going to be like a little bit of acclimation period. Like even it is in regular years where you do have preseasons, like sometimes you just go through, th- through some things in the first week or two of the season, but then things just start to iron out because talent is talent. And this is actual football and guys will be ready to play when they're called upon. So before we get to the big news of the Joe Mixon contract and breaking that down, John, uh, let's you had a, an update as to some some recent practices with the Cincinnati Bengals who have been out there and uh, they're, they're looking like they're a little bit more healthy. Yeah, I think Tyler Dragon of the Cincinnati Inquirer um, tweeted out that all the offensive starters, at least in the passing game, were out practicing together for the first time. You had Joe Mixon, the man of the hour, out there um, after dealing with migraines for about a week. You have A.J. Green practicing with the team again, John Ross joining Tyler Boyd at receiver, and as well as C.J. Zoma, who I believe has been healthy throughout training camp. So no, no real injuries to really report right now. You still have Sean Williams and Jordan Evans, respectively, uh, healing their injuries on the rehab field, but they're working through it. And if if Evans also makes a team with Williams, you know it, it's expected he'll be back around week one. If he doesn't make the team, then um, he should be healthy for another job that opens up for him. But I think with Williams, it's it is about is he going to be ready for week one? And I think that's something that they still don't know, and we'll find more information if he starts to practice next week. But on the offense side of the ball, everything's clean. No, no, no bad news to report on that front. That's good news, uh, especially when you see what we what we just expressed about the Chargers, for one, and what you've been seeing around the league. Knock on wood, let's hope that this continues on not only into week one, but into the rest of the regular season for the Bengals because they have been just snake bit when it comes to injuries, especially to their big-time players. So they need to keep guys healthy if they're to make any kind of significant progress and or a possible However, likely or unlikely playoff push this year, they need to have their guys healthy. And and I think, um, you know, like you said, John, Green Green seems to be healthy again. You got Ross back out there in the wide receiver group. I'm seeing a lot of talk, by the way, about Sanu, who was uh, released by the Patriots as well. Just a little extra news. The Bengals aren't going there, guys. I don't think so. So unless something drastic happens, they're not going there. But uh, it looks as if the team is healthy. So, John... We've talked about it now, moving on from the notes that that are going into week one. We've talked about this and the possibility of this for weeks now. A lot of a lot of fans, what's the progress? Why is it this? Why is it that? Um, you know, a couple of days ago, Joe Mixon uh, supposedly was suffering from migraines, and apparently that's, that's still an ongoing issue a little bit. He's trying to get treatment for that. Um, those are not fun. And... Regardless of it all, the Cincinnati Bengals, and we'll get the contract details up here in just a second, but the con- the Cincinnati Bengals signed Joe Mixon to a four-year, what equates to a $48 million deal. It's tacked on to his current year that he has left on his rookie deal, which basically makes it around a five-year, $50 million deal in total. Um, we'll talk about that. John, were you surprised I know we kept saying we, we we expected it to get done. We expected it to get done. I thought it would get done earlier. We're now really close to the regular season. Were you surprised that it ended up finally getting done to, based on some things? And especially were you surprised with some of the news now with Alvin Kamara potentially on the trade block, Leonard Fournette cut from the Jaguars to, at the time, franchise backs that uh, are no longer with the team. And then here you have the Bengals signing their running back to a mega extension. Well, in regards to the other news that surrounds the, the league, I, I think it's a very independent case, whereas Jacksonville has been trying to ship off Fournette for months. They tr- they've been trying to trade him, but eventually they couldn't trade him, so they realized that he's just not worth the, the, his cap number, and he's just, he's just not good, so let's just get rid of him. Let's just wash our hands with them. With Kamara, I think the Saints mainly just feel like his production is replaceable because that system has always produced 
great numbers in terms of receiving backs. Like remember Pierre Thomas, like a few years back, just dominated that offense. I mean, it's a well-oiled machine. I think the Bengals don't really care about any of that because they've been on mix and train for, for months now. Like this has been known and it's been developing for ever since, you know, the soft season began when Mixon was first eligible to receive an extension. I think Duke Tobin made it very clear in multiple times when he, ever he spoke to the media and ever talked about Mixon, it was, he, it was always the same thing. He's well valued in our franchise, regardless of his position, we're going to continue working on him. We're prioritizing him. And as soon as they couldn't get a, a, a deal done with green, they, shifted their full focus on Mixon, and if there was a slight delay it could have been due to the fact that Mixon was dealing with some migraine issues or it could have just been the fact that they have no idea or they don't don't have a clear idea about what's going to happen to the salary cap next year it could be at max 175 million which is a 23 million dollar drop compared to this year it's the loss of revenue is going to hurt everybody and i think potentially some some cash flow and structure questions arise from that but at the end of the day, it's it was signed September first, or yes, it was signed August thir- August thirty first or September first. It was signed Monday or Tuesday or Tuesday. It was Tuesday. Monday on, on was, Thursday. Well, it was it was it was kind of trickled out as a rumor on Monday, and then I think he officially signed it yesterday. I think but, is what happened. Yeah. I mean, I mean, re- regardless, it, it fits around the timeline of when they usually get these deals done. I think Green was signed right before they left. For that week one game, uh, Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins were signed the last week of August. Tyler Boyd, Tyler Boyd was signed, I think, the first week of training camp last year. But it's all over. It's all around the same. It was going to get done regardless of this little delay because they've been talking about it for months now. And the fact that it happened shouldn't really surprise anybody. So here are we have a tweet up that we're sharing on the screen here from uh, Twitter.com. Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network Insider. Uh, four-year, $48 million deal, $10 million signing bonus, and then, of course, the $1.3 million base this year, which is the last year of his contract as a second-round player, uh, $8 million base next year in 21, $8 million base in 22, and then it jumps up uh, about an almost a million and a half more in 23, and then you have a club option, um, which is getting close to $10 million in 24, and then you've got some other incentives and workouts. So, John, I think that this uh, a lot of the parameters of this contract put Joe Mixon right around, I believe, the sixth highest paid back in the league. I think we can say, look, great deal for Mixon. He's earned the money. There are questions about, you know, he's earned the money, but did you want your team spending that money on that position and on that player? Now, Joe Mixon has done everything from some of the character questions that followed him into the draft a couple of years ago. Uh, Uber productive player in college, but there are some some issues there. He has been nothing but a, a choir boy since joining the Bengals, a locker room leader, been very engaged with the fans, and has been very productive behind some subpar offensive lines, up and down quarterback play, a depleting roster where a lot of times when injuries happen, he has been the only viable weapon or one of the only viable weapons on the offense where defenses can key on him. So in a lot of ways he has, he has earned this Uh, John, here's the issue. And you brought up the salary cap thing. A lot of people where there's a little concern. What if AJ green balls out this year? What if John Ross balls out this year? What if William Jackson balls out this year? These guys that are in contract years, Mackenzie Alexander, what if he proves to be a very valuable slot corner? This is now where you say, okay, you've paid him and you've kept a core player. The question now arises, what what happens here? And there are both sides of an argument to be had with this. So I'd like to hear yours. There's a lot to get with this. And I think the majority of our listeners know where I side with this. But I think we have to start this with... Like I, I am happy for Joe Mixon. I've I've said this. I'm on the record for saying this. Like it, it's good to see players, especially young players. He's two weeks younger than me. It's good to see these guys lock up their their the the earnings for the rest of their lives to be able to you know keep keep their families fed, keep them housed, and, and whatever the situation, their circumstances may be. It's great to see these guys get paid, especially guys who play a position that's devalued that doesn't normally see this kind of extension. It's good to see him find a place where he can call home an organization he can partner with, an organization where he feels welcomed and obviously valued because they gave him this extension. It's good to see him 
do everything right, especially with people like me who have had eyes on him since the very moment he was drafted and had negative connotations and uh, about who he was as a person. And to see him completely be the person that the Bengals thought they were going to have when they invested in him, it's been a pleasure. I think everybody enjoys watching him play. And there's very clear reasons why they did this. So let, 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 let's ignore every running back contract here, right? Let's, let's just examine what the Bengals are, are purchasing because it's a $50 million investment, one that the team may or may not pay out in its entirety. But what are they actually getting in return? For one, they are buying fan appreciation. Most fans wanted this deal done, and pretty much every fan likes watching him play. Like, multiple people have been have said to me, like, you know, I, I get the whole running back argument, but he looks like the only one who's actually trying out there. He, he's been the catalyst and force of this team for the past two years when they've only won eight games. Like, he is an obvious fan favorite, and that's 100% one of the reasons why they did this, because they know they're going to get fan bonus points for this. Uh, number two, they're buying continuity of talent. Mixon is by far the best running back on the roster and, and in all likelihood better than any running back that they can draft in the coming years. They are buying locker room leadership because he's a catalyst inside the building and everything that comes with that. Those are nice things that they know they're going to get with this deal. But there's also what else do they think they're going to get in return? Because all of that is nice and has been frequently brought up by fans, and especially listeners on the show. But this is a large sum of money. And eventually you also have to look at what are you gaining on the field? How much better is this team going forward in terms of winning football games because of this? Because the Mixon that we've seen over the past two years is the Mixon the team is expecting to see for the next five years. For all that Mixon has done, for all the talent he's shown to have, again, the Bengals have won eight games since 2018. So calling Joe Mixon the MVP of the Bengals offense since 2018 is almost kind of an empty statement. So if the Bengals start a run here, like in the early 2010s, and rip off winning season after winning season. Odds are that Mixon's contributions to that success will be significantly less relative to his contribution to the salary cap. That's not on him. That's not on his spirit or his overall ability and durability. That's just how it goes for literally every running back in the league. Yeah, it's the positional value that we've talked about. And there's, there's positional value, and then there's also market value because of what contracts that Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey have signed this year. Those guys are uber valuable to their respective franchises, as is Joe Mixon. But th there's where the di dichotomy – you brought up some great points, John. There's where the dichotomy of opinion on this contract. I think it. I think in a lot of ways it needed to be done, like you mentioned. He's, he's You reward the guy. He's been a valuable piece, but the lack of wins – when he's in, even though he's played a lot of games that comes into question what this means in terms of being able to continue to build around the team the some of the players i mentioned that comes into question the salary cap potentially dropping significantly next year that comes into question here's here's why also though it does make a bit of sense or a lot of sense you you got a quarterback on a manageable rookie salary not not an Andy Dalton salary right now you these players that I mentioned, William Jackson, AJ Green, John Ross, I, I I love those guys, but look, they haven't been seeing the field. And when they have been seeing the field, especially Ross and William Jackson of late, it's been a lot of mixed bag. AJ Green, when he's out there, is great, but he just hasn't really been out there in three of the four last four seasons. So, you know, they could all potentially play well, and then you've got some tough decisions to make here. And I think that a lot of fans sentimentally would like to see A.J. Green retire a Cincinnati Bengal. I know I would in a lot of ways, but then again, there is the business side of things. And what if some of these issues that have plagued A.J. Green and these other guys that are up for contract extensions next year, what if that continues to be an issue next year? And you're able to maybe replenish somehow for with talent, maybe not the same caliber of an AJ in his prime, a William Jackson in his prime, but if you're able to maybe utilize the draft and get some other players manageable salaries. The other thing I mentioned, the rookie quarterback, if you can have a running back that is capable, and we know Mixon is versatile, he can do some things in the passing game. He's shown that he can be productive behind a porous offensive line that helps your rookie quarterback that takes pressure off of him immediately now Joe Joe Burrow doesn't really seem to be a guy who gets phased or rattled very easily in general but 
you know, if you've got, he's building rapport with Tyler Boyd, that's very obvious in practices in the scrimmage. He's building rapport with Drew Sample and CJ Uzama. And now you've got kind of your bell cow running back that he can lean on if for some reason injuries hit, things aren't going right in terms of offensive cohesion. Um, that's where that makes sense. That And those are kind of just what you weigh here. A lot of the things that you said, John, make a lot of sense in terms of how you value that position. And then you kind of talk about some of these others that I brought up that maybe the team leaned on as well as how they value the locker room guy. I have no doubt that they value his ability as a runner and what that or and what they think that means for the development of Joe Burrow. Um, I wish it was backed up by proven data and studies, but it's not. But uh, again, it, it goes back to what they value and what is the perceived value, of what they're missing and, and all that. And I feel like I didn't answer also another part of your question because it, it needs to be asked. Like this is, is a decision. There's no, there's no use in looking at it at like what they should or shouldn't have done it's now what they should or should do going forward because you're right they have actual decisions to make in the next coming years in just the window of mixon's contract when he's under contract they have plenty of young talented future stars that they need to make contractual decisions upon and to and to really talk about this i don't look at who the bengals added this offseason i kind of look at who they willfully subtracted specifically like Drake patrick john miller bw webb like those guys were under contract for multiple years, but their talent did not match up the value of of their contracts. So what did they do? They liquidated them. They got rid of them, and they opened up. I think w- with those three guys combined, like around twelve, thirteen million dollars in salary yeah. cap space. Salary cap space that was used immediately to pay DJ Reader, Von Bell, Trey Wayne's immediately th- this year. So the the whole thing with Mixon is that if you pay Mixon, what happens if you can't pay a Jonah Williams, a Carl Lawson, a William Jackson, a Jesse Bates, all guys that I think the team would like to bring back. Like realistically, they can't bring back every single book, every single person, because fans are now starting to say, you know, the salary cap doesn't exist. Like it can be, it can be manipulated. There's flexibility that you, that you can have. No team is really strapped to the salary cap. That only applies if the team in question is willing to take advantage of that. And for years, the Bengals r- refused to because they just held on to contracts, regardless if they can get out of it, regardless if the player was worth it anymore. This year, we saw for the first time them making actual progressive decisions to better the team by subtraction, by getting rid of guys like Kirkpatrick and Miller. They opened the door to improve the team as a whole. If they continue to do that with Mixon on the books for the next four to five years, and they're willing to improve the team by also getting rid of guys who take up a lot of salary cap space, they can, they can come out on top of this. They can not let, they can not be handicapped and hindered by Mixon's contract on the books by still keeping all the other core talent that they still need to keep. If they don't, if they get rid, if they happen to lose a guy like Bates in free agency, immediately the Joe Mixon contract is going to be pointed to. Was it worth keeping a guy who's the least valuable player on the field and letting a, a more valuable guy walk for a lot of money? Like that's going to be the question if it does happen. But if they manage to keep most or all the guys that they need to keep, then they're going to come out on top of this. The other facet to it that I think makes sense is you're not giving this type of extension to a running back who's 27. You're giving it, you're giving it to a back who's 24 years old. Um, So he is young. He entered the league young. So, you know, it's possible that, you know, a lot of times when a running back tends to sign a deal like this, the wheels fall off and they, you know, they don't see the end of the contract or they're, it's just a total albatross for the team. The, the odds maybe favor Mixon and the Bengals a little bit more because he did enter the league at a younger age than maybe some other and, and some other backs. And he did sign this contract at 24 years old, not say 26, 27. And he'll be, you know, really close to 30 years old by the time this contract, should he see it through, um, is up. Now, I mean, he'll, if he does see it through, he'll be in his late twenties for sure. But it's just, you know, uh, when they signed him right now, he is on the younger side of things, which, which is a positive, but you're right, John. I mean, there's, um, it's kind of like, well, how does this play out? By the way, we had someone, you mentioned a lot of names that freed up space. Brian Kramer said, Cordy Glenn, another guy they let go of that freed up some space. So, um, yeah, I mean, if the, and that's, you know what, John, that's what, that's what modern teams do. The Bengals for a long time didn't do that. 
they would hang on to guys far too long. And then it would, you'd say, well, why is this guy still making this kind of money? And then it would prohibit them from either re-signing their own guys, Andrew Whitworth, Kevin Zeitler and such, or it would prohibit them from being active in outside free agency. So, um, you know, if, if this contract prohibits them in either, either facet, that's not going to be a good thing, but they did lock up one of their core offensive players, a guy who's, who has been important to them in a lot of different ways. Let's just hope that based on some data, you've pointed out that this ends up being more of an outlier, uh, for the Bengals and for that position. And also, I, I mean, this isn't really pertinent to the discussion itself, but I think it's, I think it's worthwhile looking at the actual details of this contract compared to other guys who are paid similarly when you just look at average salary. Like Le'Veon Bell, uh, I think a, a year or two ago, signed his four-year deal worth like 13 and a half. Um, David Johnson signed uh, three years, 39 million, so about 13 average per, per year. Derrick Henry, a, couple, a month or two ago, just signed a four-year deal worth 50 million, so that's 12 and a half average salary. All three of those guys, for the first three years of their deals, their cash flows are all over $30 million. I think with Bell, his cash flow is $39.9 million for the first three years. Derrick Henry is $37.5. Joe Mixon's cash flow for the first three years is $29.2. Like his average yearly cash take home is just under $10 million per year. Like you look at the average salary of new money, it's $12 million, but the actual cash he's taking in is about less than $10 million. And it's, and it's not front loaded up front where they're getting them a large sum of cash up front. You know, his signing bonus is only $10 million. And I think his total guaranteed money is about 19.3 which is a little bit less than all those other running backs that were signed in recent years so it's less marginally compared to other running backs and not all the cash is up front as much as those other running backs. i think like mccaffrey is getting like 30 something million in the first two years like that that is a contract that can cripple the entirety of, of your team and, and how much that you can do in terms of flexibility with Mixon. his cash flow actually his cash drops from 11.8 million to 8.7 from from 2021 and 2022. So they're not paying them a lot going forward compared to at least this year. A lot of that's up front this year and they already have I think still 10 million dollars in salary cap left. So compared to other running back contracts, it, it it looks similar from the details that a lot of people just look at with contracts, the total money in the years, but when you look at it from a year to year basis and about how this cash is distributed compared to other top running back contracts, this is not like them and it's less than market value compared to the compared to the market so from a, a pure market standpoint the Bengals got to deal with Joe Mixon but it's never been about are they going to pay him you know more or less compared to other running backs it's, it's it's always been should they pay him at all right based on the position based on the position that's right but the Bengals have Joe Mixon inked to a uh, four-year extension you know again it could keep him into Cincinnati for five total years, um, really totaling about fifty million. We did the breakdown earlier, so he's here. Uh, look, it's it's a happy it's a happy thing in a lot of respects. It's just, you know, I think there's also some cautious optimism that needs to be had with this. I mean, um, because of long term effects and what what this could mean for the Cincinnati Bengals. You mentioned Carl Lawson, a name I did not. That is one that they'll likely value, and he's he's another guy who's in a big year um, because he's battled injuries. He's when he's been in there, he's been pretty productive, but you know, there's been some ups and downs there. So a lot of these guys have a lot to prove. And then all of a sudden the Bengals may have a good problem on their hands, wherein they need to figure out who they can, who they can extend next year. And, and again, I, I know, I think we have like Anton Hall in the comment section, Joe Mixon and AJ Green are five and zero when they play together. Like, I, I think we, we need, we need to remember, like if the Bengals do good, we need to remember where that success is coming from because the Joe Mixon that we've seen again for the past two years has been very good. He's been he was the AFC's leading rusher in 2018, and he had I think led the leading rushing for the last half of of last year. Yeah, if he's they, crazy. yeah. <laughs> if the, if they do well now and Mixon's effectiveness is the same, I think we need to understand where that success is actually coming from. Yeah. So Joe Mixon, a bangle for a while now. And let's hope that it all works out well for both parties. And uh, we can be happy for Joe Mixon. We can be happy for the Bengals on that move. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We've been talking some Joe Mixon contract details. We've been talking about a week one, some news about week one against the Chargers that has been circulating this week. And we'll be talking more about that game next week as we preview many things. 
And we hope that you've been enjoying all the content that the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel has been putting out, whether it's the interviews that we have had on this show of late, whether it's Orange is the New Black by Ace Boogie and Zim Hooday, or Chalk Talk by Matt Minnick. A lot of good stuff has been pumping out and more to come as the regular season is right around the corner. You can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. Uh, you can get all of our stuff on YouTube. Subscribe. Again, that icon is right under John there. So subscribe to the YouTube channel, if you will. And uh, keep it to Cincy Jungle, not only for all the shows that we put there, but for all your news, opinions, analysis, breaking news, all that good stuff. It's all there. John, we've got a soundbite of the week. And this one, uh, you know, we've we've done some before that have been... Um, you know, a little less serious and a little, uh, you know, kind of like, oh, jabs at the Bengals or, or propping up the Bengals, that sort of thing. This is a little different. This is from the Bengals Twitter account. And this is uh, a video of them that they put out last Saturday uh, where the team released a statement on some of the racial and social justice issues that have been plaguing the nation especially of late, but uh, for for quite a long time. And they put out a pretty powerful statement led by a couple of players and Mike Brown. It's about a 50-second clip, I believe. You'll be hearing uh, from a couple of different players here. We just want to share this, talk about it a little bit. And uh, it was a pretty powerful thing that the Bengals put out here. So we're going to share this for you here. And let's play it. You'll be hearing from... Uh, Trey Hopkins and Joe Burrow. We're, at the, we're here at the Freedom Center today because the Cincinnati Bengals have an important message. As this country continues to see instances of racial discrimination and injustices, it is time for us to act. Together and as a unified front, we must identify, address, and ultimately end those practices and policies that would deny liberty and justice to all, regardless of race, religion, or creed. It is time for us all to take a stand. It is each of our responsibility to affect change in our communities, not only for us, but for those yet to come. We cannot turn a blind eye to the racism still experienced in this country. This is not an issue of politics, but a fight for equality in life. If this nation is to ever reach the goals that it has promised to its citizens, we must be catalysts for change. So John, uh, you know, this we're not going to espouse a lot of political things. I, at least I'm not uh, with this, but I think that this was a very powerful statement. And I know that a lot of people have, have jumped on the bangles in terms of, and, and it's ownership group in terms of why aren't they speaking out? Why haven't they released a statement? Why have in, in, in the wake of a lot of different things? Um, my, my my take on that is, yeah, there is criticism to be had a little bit uh, as to why the delay and why the quiet nature on some of these things. But, you know, the Brown family, I, I put a tweet out about this. They're contemplative people. They're deliberate people. Uh, they are thoughtful people and they don't really um, knee jerk reaction to things. They don't. And they, it's the way that they operate their football team, not just on these types of issues. But it's the way they operate their football team. They don't they don't do things without a lot of thought, um, and and maybe that's that's something to be criticized. But what, from what we've heard, John, they have uh, talked to their players, and uh, they did a a tour of the Underground Railroad Freedom Center, which is in downtown Cincinnati. And this was this statement was made on uh, what's essentially Jackie Robinson weekend. Um, the MLB celebrated Jackie Robinson Day on Friday. Um, so, you know, I, I think there was a lot to, if you're a Bengals fan, a lot to be proud of in this statement. And John, we, you and I spoke a few weeks ago about saying who are going to be the captains on this team? Who are going to, who are going to wear those C's on the Jersey? I think it's safe to say that Trey Hopkins is in play for that based on some other comments he made. And by the way, if you haven't seen the full presser with what he said, go do that as well as maybe Joe Burrow. But uh, we wanted to share that. I'm sure a lot of people saw it and heard it. It was on the Bengals.com website. Um, and uh, you see the transition between the two guys speaking, John, and Mike Brown was right there. Yeah, a couple of things on this. For one, absolutely watch Trey Hopkins' press conference. Just just do it. Just be more informed as a person before you engage in potentially ignorant debates. Um, 
it was, didn't shock me at all that he was the one that wrote that speech. And it was it wasn't like he was planning on speaking all of it. And then I think it was a team decision to allow Burrow to say the next half because as a 23-year-old kid, he's the franchise quarterback and he's the leader. And they felt it would send a great message for him to do that. And it's not like he was forced to do it or it's not like he didn't want to do it. He wanted to do it because he's been outspoken on these things. And I'll tell you what, man, as a fifth grader, we took a field trip to the Freedom Center. I grew up in Westchester, Ohio. It's nicknamed Whitechester. Not a lot of colored kids, not a lot of non-white kids in my classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of people who knew exactly what was inside the Freedom Center. I didn't sleep for two weeks after seeing that place, after seeing the short film that they showed me. And I think from Burroughs' comments as well, he learned a lot of stuff too, like the fact that you know black people in Ohio back in the day needed two white people to vouch for him and for them to pay $500 for them just to live in the state. Like it, 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 like Ohio was known as like the, the threshold between the North and the South. Like people cross the Ohio river, they get to freedom. That's not, that's not the case that like these things were going on even in the union that, that it, it's, it said a lot, I think for them to do that. Yeah. Um, I'm still waiting on the actual tangible plan in terms of what they are willing to do to combat these issues because a statement at the end of the day, even if we see them saying the words, it, it's still just a statement. And until there's actual action behind it, um, I, I think they're still running behind the Ravens in the standard where they actually put a tangible thing out there and they wrote a letter to Senate Majority Leader Mitchell McConnell. Um, I would love to see what their plan of action is. And I have confidence that it is going to happen because I think Elizabeth Blackburn, who's the daughter of Katie Blackburn, has done an incredible job of engaging with these players and in terms of giving back to the community and making a positive impact and going back to like what, what Hopkins was saying in that press conference, like he was with the team in 2017. He was there when Mike Brown told his players not to kneel because they didn't want to, he didn't want to upset you know, members of this fan base. Not the same three years later, you know, and they went to Brown and he met with them a day later and to talk to him about this, about these issues and to actually have some proactive change here. And I would like to think that, Trey Hopkins is influenced along with everyone else like Carlos Delnick, who also spoke out to reporters last week, had a great deal of impact on there. So it's good to see growth, especially in the areas where the team lacked it for, for years. And it, it was very heartwarming to, to hear this message. And I'm just waiting on what the actual plan is following it. Yeah, it was, it was very, I, I was very uh, proud of, of that. And, and, and I understand your, your, what you're saying there, John. I mean, words are just that. Um, you know, what, what are they going to follow this up with? We don't know, but uh, that was, you know, that was kind of a powerful thing as were the words of Trey Hopkins and Trey Hopkins was a guy that really wasn't a, a media forefront personality for this team um, in, in many years. And uh, the last you know week or so, some of the things he has said has been, you know, quite impressive and, and he's really taken a leadership role. I want to say, I want to just share this before we move on to John, I posted, uh, this to a, a, a tweet that I put out, you know, a lot of, a lot of people that, uh, a lot of people may not re- know or remember some of the things about the the Cincinnati Bengals, but here's a little quote that I found, uh, because Paul Brown when it was instrumental in integrating pro football. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people, like I said, are, are maybe a little critical of the Bengals and, and the kneeling stance that they supposedly have held and, uh, a little bit of a delay in, in getting a statement out. But, you know, there, there are some actions that, and this is a long time ago, and this is Paul Brown who's no longer around, but Paul Brown, who was an architect of so many things in the NFL, was a guy who integrated African-American athletes into the sport. Uh, he was one of the, the the pioneers of doing that. And he he wasn't about, look at me, I'm doing this. It was about, you know, it's just the right thing to do. And it's it's the it helps our football team. It's a, hum, a humanity thing. And uh, Paul Brown was was instrumental in that. And you see a, a little quote here from Jim Brown that I, I found. Paul Brown integrated pro football without uttering a single word about integration. He just went out, signed a bunch of great black athletes, and started kicking butt. That's how you do it. You know, talk about it. Paul never said one word about race, but this was a time in sports when you'd play in some cities, and the white players could stay at the nice hotel, but the blacks had to stay in the homes of some black families in town. But not with Paul. We always stayed in hotels that took the entire team. Again, he never said a word, but in his own way, the man integrated football the right way and no one was going to stop him. So, you know, it, it just this 
image and these statements made this weekend, John, uh, it made me harken back to that a little bit and, and proud of some of the things that this team has in the past stood for. And like you said, Mike was, was there. I think he was in the third or fourth row with his players um, in, in front of the camera. And I think a lot of times, like you, you see, you see things like this. I think the Titans also made like a video message and I'm not, hundred percent sure if their owner was present there too, but I think it, it does mean a lot when the owner is there because you know that he's the guy that can actually drive change around here. It's very naive and ignorant to think that sports owners can't do anything positive in their community when they're literally billionaires. I don't know exactly what Mike Brown's net worth is somewhere in the hundreds of millions, but these guys have the capabilities to make real change. Like these, these people are practically politicians. Like they have a lot of pull. And for Mike to be there with his players, I think in one sense, it's good and it's positive and it's refreshing to see. But also at the end of the day, like there's a lot of criticisms with Mike, but I think he still you know, cares deeply about his players. And you see him interact with some of them on the training camp practice fields. And I, I think he still has that compassion for him. And it was good to see him truly care about something that meant a lot to him. And it, it goes to show you that, you know, th- these people, they can actually do change. And it's important to know that. I I believe that a lot of fans, especially if they have a Twitter account, they probably saw or heard something like the clip that we shared. But if you have not, please go to uh, bangles.com and check that out as well as I, I think there was some behind the scenes footage of the team kind of walking to the Freedom Center. And, um, you know, uh, there was some other footage of, of course, like we said, the press conference that went on for a little while with Trey Hopkins. I believe it was the day or two before um, the team made this statement and, uh, you know, uh, go, go, go read about some of this stuff. It's, it's pretty interesting. And if you haven't go learn a little bit about Paul Brown, if you're a newer Bengal fan, if you're on the younger side of things, go learn about who Paul Brown was, what he stood for. Uh, you, you may, you may be surprised at what you read and what you hear, um, based on, um, whatever perception you have of, of the team. But we wanted to share that based on the fact that the team put out that message and it was pretty powerful. John, let's, let's, move on to potential breakout players. Uh, unfortunately, I think we have named some guys that <laughs> have hit like injured reserve already. And uh, it's just like, oh man. Uh, so I don't know if this is like a curse that, that we're putting out here, but um, who do you got this week? Um, So it's been tough to try to decipher who's really playing where right now um, on both sides of the ball. But I've been really in- intrigued to see who's taking snaps at the defensive line. Cause we know Mike Daniels has been in there. I think there was a picture from the scrimmage about uh, it showed Daniels, DJ reader and Gene Atkins on the defense line all at the same time. I think that's something that a lot of people want to see. Um, we're not sure if Daniels is going to start along that defense line. Cause if he does, he'd probably be at that five technique spot. Someone who we, we have heard has not only been playing a lot of snaps in training camp at one of the spots, but has been doing fairly well is freedom. Akim Malodin. I think I'm saying his mm-hmm. name right. Um, I mean, the guy was practice squad add-on like last November. He played in like a handful of snaps towards the end of the year. So he didn't accrue like an actual season because he just spent like weeks on, on a practice squad from originally with the Giants who signed him as a college free agent. Then he was waived in November. The Bengals picked him up about a week later. But I I, I, I thought that Andrew Brown was going to ascend to the spot where, where Freedom, I'm just going to call him Freedom because I don't know how to say his name. <laughs> it's just fun to say his, his name is Freedom. But yeah. apparently he's starting in like the spot that Josh Tupo was supposed to be in, and then he opted out. Then Renell Ram was supposed to take that spot, then he you know, injured his quadriceps. So apparently he, Freedom is next man up. And I think he's gone from a guy that potentially is going to make the practice squad again in 2020 to a guy who's now just a starter who can play 300, 400 snaps if he continues to play well. But uh, there's not a lot to know about him. He's like six three, two hundred eighty six pounds. We don't really know a lot about his athleticism. We don't really know a lot about what he does on the field because he's only been on the field for a handful of snaps. But he's apparently ascending in training camp as a guy who they want out there on on the first snaps of the game and their base defense. And it'll be interesting to see how much involved he is in the rotation as as the season and the games wear on, or if he's more than just a base player that plays like 20 snaps a game, or if he's a guy who can spill potentially Geno Atkins or, or DJ reader at one of those spots. So, you know, this is a defensive line that can keep nine or 10 guys, even with all the injuries that have piled up. And now freedom has gone from a place where he may or may not be looking for another job to now, He's technically a starter if they're still going to go three defensive tackles. So it's going to be interesting to see him in this new role. And it's, it's just kind of a great story. You know, being a five-year college player at Nebraska, you know, Zach Taylor's alma mater, 
you know, having, you know, been fairly productive there, but just not really having the opportunity in his rookie year to now ascending into the spot where he can kind of run with it. So I'm, I'm excited to see where he goes with it and to see if he's an actual positive contributor. That's a good one. Uh, I, I, I've wavered on who to go with this week. I believe I went last time we did this. I think I went with Mike Thomas. Did I not? Um, Thank based, you. Yeah. Um, based on some of the things that we have seen in camp. So I'm, I'm not going to rehash that a little bit. Uh, we, I've done Drew Sample and, and others. You know, one guy I think that I'm going to I'm going to put out there is Brandon Wilson. Brandon Wilson probably will be a rotational guy. Brandon Wilson will probably be a guy that maybe has spot duty, depending on how the team wants to do the kick return stuff. There's probably a handful of guys in the mix. And by the way, I think it was Tyler Boyd and maybe Giovanni Bernard who were fielding punts during uh, certain parts of the scrimmage, at least in warmups and stuff. So that was kind of interesting. Um, I don't, I don't expect really either of them, maybe Gio more so than, than Boyd, but I don't really expect either of them to do that. Brandon Wilson was a borderline uh, pro bowl return kickoff return man last year. Uh, and he was replacing a guy who was like a pro bowl return man and Darius Phillips who went out of the lineup. So you know, the Bengals let Clayton Fedulum go, and Clayton Fedulum was a very valuable special teams player. He also came in and spot duty on defense and made a couple of plays. He had that huge play against the Colts in 2018 to seal that win in week one. Um, but they let him go. Miami paid him quite a pretty penny for a guy that was, you know, kind of a, a backup-ish type of guy. And now Brandon Wilson's going to come in and, um, you know, be a special teams, a guy that they rely on heavily in special teams, not only in punt coverage and kickoff coverage, but potentially returns. And then, of course, he's a guy that will probably come in as they mix up different looks on the defense and in the secondary. Um, you know, a guy that just is kind of a, a Swiss Army knife type of player and uh, may not get his due in terms of being a household name, but I think that he is a guy that will make the team, and he is a guy that will be – you'll just say, oh, man, Brandon Wilson, nice play every once in a while. You know, probably once or twice a game. Nice play. He downs a punt, right, deep in an opponent's territory. He makes a nice tackle on special teams. He pops a big return if even if he's not the primary return guy. Um, maybe makes a nice tackle or pass breakup. I think you'll see his – you'll say his name in a positive way once or twice a game this season. I really don't – know how much or how many special team snaps from last year will be carried over into this year in terms of personnel like you would think that Seth and Carter's making the team again um but aside from that like you're right a lot of guys like Fedulum have left and Wilson is like one of those guys that was a prominent you know role player for special teams the last couple of years and to have him be one of the only guys coming back, they're going to be relying on him a lot, not just like you said as a returner, but also as a gunner and on punt and kickoff teams. So I, I think they're trying to see what like Trayvon Henderson can do at safety, just to like see what they have in him while Sean Williams is out. But also because I think I think you're right. I think they're trying to save Wilson for like special teams duties and not have him play a lot of, of snaps on, on defense unless he absolutely has to. I remember. The Raiders game last year, he was playing a lot of slot cornerback or just overhang defender in general, and he was doing a damn good job of it. There was actual communication on the back end, and it led to one of Jesse Bates's alone uh, interceptions on the year. So, I mean, he can play if he needs to. He's a phenomenal athlete for being six foot, two hundred pounds, and he can play both slot cornerback and safety as well. So, there's value for him on defense, but I think they value him a lot, like you said, on special teams, and they want to preserve him for the, those roles that he has to play because right now they're not retain a lot of guys who played those roles last year going back to your guy someone someone said let me pull up the comment here uh i think it was anton hall um in the youtube free your your boy freedom sounds like a wallace gilberry type we need that is that is that what you kind of see there and is he a guy that maybe pushes andrew brown off the off the roster or is he a guy that maybe continues to develop on a practice squad type of basis or what do you what do you think there I think Gilberry had a role here because that was when they were primarily just a, a, a four down lineman team or scheme on defense. And Gilberry played like end on base, but he moved inside at defensive tackle on passing downs. And that like, so it was like the Fanane role too for a little bit. And it evolved into other players even after Gilberry left. So I think now the defense has evolved to the point where it's not necessarily that specific type of player where he's playing both inside and outside. I think he's primarily just playing 
at 34 defensive end, that five technique spot. Maybe play him a little bit at defensive tackle as well, but he doesn't really have the body to be just an edge defender, especially when he has to be in a two-point stance. So it's a different scheme, so you can't compare him directly to Gilberry, but it and also he just might not be on the field at all during passing and nickel and dime downs, but it's kind of like where he's kind of like a hybrid, I guess, which is what Gilberry was in, in essence at, at his peak in Cincinnati. So there are some similarities there, I guess. Well, good stuff as usual, John. For the sake of time, we're going to keep it to one each, I think, this week. Maybe we'll do one more before the regular season next week and conclude the list of 2020 potential breakout players. We've done quite a few so far. I don't think we've overlapped in terms of or repeated players. Hopefully not. But I think I, I think I mentioned like sample twice, but you know, it's okay. That's it's a popular okay. guy. Yeah, I, I yeah. I mean, I think was I the Renell Ren guy this year, or were you? I mean, uh, that was, uh, I mean, he, Ren's your guy just in general. You know, yeah. you, you love that dude. I do, but uh, like poor guy. Can't yeah. Say <laughs> well. Let's drop the mic and get on out of here, John. Uh, Randall's got his shirt on behind you. You've, you're you're in your new digs in your in your apartment there. Uh, I don't know. What do you got for us this week? I guess it's not so new now. I just made my second rent payment, so that was Ooh. that was great. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like it was it was, it was a good show. It was a busy show tonight. A lot of stuff is happening. A lot of stuff continues to happen because I think the NFL released like their second. Uh, results of COVID testing in the past month or so. I think they're they're up to like a total of maybe like six positive tests for players. So they're 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 doing this thing. Like this thing is actually happening, and I think they deserve a lot of credit for the work that they've done in terms of contact tracing and daily testing and putting their players in the best position to do this as safely as possible. Um, I don't want to celebrate too early though because we haven't had teams travel yet. We haven't teams actually play against each other. So if this continues into the first part of the season, I think we can start to celebrate. But just for the Albert Breers of the world and the guys in his mentions, just just hold hold on a second. Don't, we, we've seen this too. We've seen this too many times before, where like a team starts like two and one against really bad teams, and they fly out the power ranking, and all of a sudden they're like six and ten at the end of the year. So let, let, let's wait on the optimism a little bit, but at the same time, credit is due or credit is due. They're doing a much better job of limiting positive testing than I would have imagined. I just really hope it carries into the season when this is actually going to matter. Great point. And to that, did you, did you buy yourself a cutout for Paul Brown stadium? Uh, no, I value my money. <laughs> oh boy. I probably shouldn't tell you that I did then, huh? Uh, <laughs> I don't have a real job. You do. <laughs> uh, you're, yeah. So pro- you'll probably be seeing me and my, my little guy, uh, as well as my nephew. Do you get to decide on the row or like, what's the deal with that? I don't know. I, I, I actually called the guy, uh, one of the guys there and was like, Hey, you know, first of all, it, I, I was worried. Cause I'm like, it says you can pick it up after the season. And I'm like, well, I, I can't go pick it up based on where I live. So can you ship it out to me or whatever? I'll pay for it. So hopefully that gets through. Um, and then there were some problems uploading pictures, but I think I got it all through and, um, you know me, I like to, I like to donate to things and obviously that, but at least proceeds of it go to, um, some charities that, that are out there and some good ones. So, um, you know, I, I wanted to, I don't know, do that. And like I said, John, I was, I was prepared to come to this game, um, mm-hmm. pre pandemic, I think. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess I saved the money on the plane flight and the hotel and all that kind of stuff and the game tickets. So I kind of said, uh, what the hell I'll just, I'll, uh, pump that in and uh i don't know we'll see what happens you may see my my goofy face on on sundays going forward i don't know this is probably the time where people are going to flame me for making fun of someone donating to charity even though i forgot that it was actually going to charity you know, it's just in pocket, so, you know what I, I guess i earned that so it's, it's all good it's all good um i, I do want to i i I said this before we took the air but i do want to publicly uh thank you john um because for number one, we couldn't really promote the Sam Hubbard interview as much as we wanted to beforehand because uh, the initiative that was coming out on behalf of Pepsi um, was slated to be released this week. So we had to release that interview um, this week. We couldn't promote it and all that kind of stuff. But John was instrumental in, in setting that up for us and did all the legwork for that. And as as our listeners may or may not know, we've had a lot of different episodes, a lot of different interviews and John's been putting in a lot of work. So I am appreciative of that. Um, 
And uh, I just want to publicly acknowledge you for that, my man. You've uh, you put in a lot of hours, um, and I know you do a lot more of the writing stuff than I do for Cincy Jungle. So um, I just want to publicly acknowledge you on that. Whatever it takes to keep this thing alive, man. You do most of the legwork around here. It's the least I can do. Well, appreciate it. Also, if you joined us Monday, uh, if you are looking, for, uh, we hope you enjoy you join us for our pregame virtual tailgate that we will be doing. Myself, John Sheeran, and Matt Minnick will be tag teaming that. Thanks to uh, Narragansett Beer as our partner and sponsor of that specific show and this program. Um, but aside from that. Uh, I did have Jim Foster on early on Monday with the news jump to promote uh, if you're in the city of Cincinnati and you're looking for some sort of a tailgate experience, Jim is throwing something. There may be just a few spots left there. That also, the money you pay to get to that goes to charity, etc. So if you're looking for something to do, he throws a great event and, uh, you know, he wants to support the fans how he is able so in case you are in the in the area and looking for something to do i just want to put that out for one final plug for him um he is a, a pretty big fan advocate so uh, wanted to put that out there for jim but anything else before we get on out of here john no nah, i'm good man well, let's wrap this up all right well thanks everybody for tuning in and we will see you we'll be talking a lot about final rosters and final cuts and all that kind of stuff next week so we'll see you then for John Sharon I'm Anthony